While the Orioles' core roster is pretty much set at this point after the Corbin Burns trade, the O's are going to continue adding to the fringes, adding to the edges between now and opening day. And they did that twice over the last day or so, adding a couple of infielders in Nick Maton and Levon Soto that could help this team in 2024. We'll get to those two pickups plus a couple of big W's for some Orioles in arbitration coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, February 9th, 2024. And welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look at a couple of roster moves that the Orioles made over the last two days. On Wednesday night, acquiring Nick Maton in a small trade with the Detroit Tigers. And on Thursday, picking up Levon Soto off waivers from the Anaheim Angels. We'll get to how those two guys could help the Orioles, how they fit into the roster this year. And then we'll also get to arbitration. Austin Hayes and Jacob Webb both going to an ARB hearing with the Orioles and both winning their hearings against the team. We'll talk about what their roles could be for the team this year, and specifically in Hayes' case, moving forward with the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers can join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started today. So let's begin today's episode with Nick Maton. He is probably the bigger name of the two infielders that the Orioles have acquired over the last couple of days. And this news broke essentially right after I stopped recording Thursday's episode, which if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. Talked about David Rubenstein taking over the Orioles and what his kind of top three to-do list should be to change the O's for the better. Right when I finished recording that on Wednesday night, I see the news. The Orioles have acquired Nick Maton in exchange for cash considerations in a trade with the Detroit Tigers. So that move right there, you might be puzzled a little bit. You're saying, well, the Orioles' deepest position in the majors and in the minors right now is the infield. So why are you going and getting another kind of fringe depth infielder? Well, that's just the reason why. He is depth. Now, Maton was DFA'd by the Tigers on Monday after they made room for left-hander Colton Ingram, who they had picked up a couple of days prior. And this is basically the exact same thing the O's did a few weeks ago when they brought back Tyler Nevin and did it from the exact same team, the Detroit Tigers. Nevin was DFA'd by the Tigers. The Orioles said, you know what, we could use that depth. Instead of waiting for him on waivers and knowing he probably won't get to us because the Orioles, because they had such a great record last year, are 29th on the waiver wire right now. Pretty much every other team gets a shot to claim a player before the Orioles do. They said, you know what, let's incentivize the Tigers here. And what you can do when a player is DFA'd and placed on waivers, you can still trade that player for, I believe it's a 10-day window while they sit on waivers. And so the Orioles jumped ahead and said, hey, Tigers, we'll give you some cash for Tyler Nevin. Pull him off waivers. Just give him to us. That's what happened. And the exact same thing happened to Nick Maton. The Orioles said, we'd like him. Hey, Tigers, we'll give you a little cash. Pull him off waivers and just trade him to us. And that is what happened there as well. So he gets a spot on the 40-man roster, which 
after that move was up to 39 players with one open spot. Now, who is Nick Maton? Well, he's 26 years old, but actually in about nine days, he'll turn 27. So this is his age 27 season. And he's essentially a super utility player, was a seventh round pick for the Phillies back in 2017, throws from the right side, but hits from the left side, and was a pretty good minor league player with the Phillies and made it to the big leagues with Philadelphia in 2021. He played in 52 games that year for the Phillies and was mostly a defensive replacement pinch hitter, only had 131 plate appearances, hit 256, was a below league average hitter, but he showed some solid tools and the Phillies gave him another chance in 2022 because while he was never a top prospect for the Phillies, I believe his highest ranking was... 13th in the Philly system via fan graphs. At one point, he was a 40 future value type of prospect, a guy who Eric Longenhagen of fan graphs basically described as, hey, he'll probably be a utility man in the majors with a ceiling of being a, a solid regular. So not any kind of star prospect, but a solid player in the minor leagues. And he got a chance in 2022 with the Phillies. He was hitting really well in AAA. He came up to the big leagues. And while he only had 85 plate appearances in those 35 games he played for the Phillies in 2022 because he was mostly a pinch hitter and defensive replacement, he hit five homers, hit 250, which was good for a 135 WRC+. Now, again, incredibly small sample size, less than 100 plate appearances, but 35% better than league average when he was hitting. And that caused the Phillies to keep him on the postseason roster for a couple of rounds, including he was on the Phillies 2022 World Series roster when, of course, they lost to the Astros in six games and Maton actually appeared in one of those World Series games, got one plate appearance, went 0 for 1, but he was on the Phillies World Series roster. They found that he was, I mean, good enough, relevant enough, helpful enough to have him on the World Series roster when they're trying to win a championship. But after that, that was it for Maton's time in Philly. Last offseason, he was traded along with Matt Veerling, of kind of a similar player who has a little bit higher upside, another utility guy. Both of them were traded to the Detroit Tigers in exchange for back-end flame-throwing left-handed reliever Gregory Soto. And the thought was, Maton and Veerling are both kind of part-time players in Philly, but when they go to Detroit, a much worse team, looking for a lot more offense, they will surely get an everyday chance. And I think that was the thought from the Tigers, I mean, Maton and Veerling both were on the Tigers opening day roster and were given a shot to win a full-time job. Veerling somewhat took it. Unfortunately, Nick Maton did not. And that's why we're at the point where a year later after the trade, he's getting DFA'd by a, by a Tigers team that still needs some bats in their lineup. Now, he spent most of his time in the big leagues last year, although there was a chunk of playing time in AAA, but in the big leagues, the bat was just not good. 93 games with the Tigers, had about 300 plate appearances, still was not an everyday player, and hit just 173 with a 288 on base and a 305 slugging. That is just a 67 WRC plus for Nick Maton last year. And although his 13% walk rate was really good, his 24% strikeout rate was concerning. And when you read a lot of the, the write-ups on the prospects, specifically from Eric Longenhagen at Fangraphs, he basically talks about how Maton's always had good walk rates. They have even continued in the big leagues when nothing else has gone right for him offensively, but he still had a good eye. But he strikes out a lot. He hits the ball in the air and just he doesn't make enough good hard contact. That's one of the big issues with Nick Maton. His exit velocities are just not nearly high enough to make you super excited. Now, he is versatile defensively. 
He played mostly second and third base for the Tigers last year, but he's also played a little shortstop, a little right field, and a little left field, both in AAA and sometimes at, in the big leagues with both the Phillies and the Tigers. So he's versatile around the diamond. The only issue is he's not particularly great at any of those defensive positions. By far, his best defensive spot is second base, where he's at best a little above league average, generally is a league average defensive second baseman. But at third base last year, negative 10 outs above average, the stat cast defensive stat, that's horrible at third base. And he didn't look crazy comfortable when he was in a corner outfield spot either. So unless he's at second, which is not one of the most valuable defensive positions on the field, he's not like a super reliable defender either. So where's the value here? Well, he can play a lot of positions and he's a left-handed bat who has had some success, at least in 2022, hitting at the major league level. Not the case last year. So the question becomes, okay, you have an Orioles team with all this infield depth, even after trading away Joey Ortiz, still all this infield depth going into 2024. Why get Nick Maton if he's another infielder? And quite honestly, he is worse than almost everybody who's an infielder who's on the current Orioles 40-man roster. Well, depth, in all caps, depth is never a bad thing. That is why the O's got him. It's the same reason... They went out and got Tyler Nevin from the same team in basically the exact same way a few weeks ago. He is depth. There is a good chance Nick Maton does not play a game for the Baltimore Orioles in 2024. He could. I'm not saying he couldn't. There's a path for him. But they just want him as depth. And just like Nevin, Maton is out of minor league options. He cannot be sent down to AAA without being DFA'd. And that's one of the reasons why the Tigers DFA'd him earlier this week. But... If you need a healthy body in the big leagues for a couple of weeks, if you need somebody who can play multiple positions, Nick Maton can give you that off the bench without, you know, the Orioles are never going to be in a spot where they have to play Nick Maton every day. Even if he's on the big league roster at some point, he's never going to be in a starting role. He's just good depth to have on your bench because he can play so many places. And if he's in AAA, if he does end up there, he's not going to take at-bats away from Jackson Holiday or Kobe Mayo or Connor Norby or any of these prospects in Norfolk. He's going to be depth there, too, to move around the diamond, give guys an off day when they need it. Maybe somebody gets hurt, Nick Maton can step in. And here's the big thing. Even if he ends up at AAA, like I think Tyler Nevin will as well, at worst, it's an upgrade on what the Orioles had to do for AAA depth last year. If you remember later in the season... Once Jordan Westberg had been called up and once Colton Kowser had been called up. And of course, you know, the Orioles have had 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 Gunnar Henderson in the big leagues for a while there. And Joey Ortiz was dealing with some injury issues. And the Orioles were kind of short staffed just among hitters in AAA. So they went out and signed Robbie Glendenning and Joseph Rosa and Ben Deluzio, all two minor league contracts, just to fill out the lineup in Norfolk for about a month there. And those guys were even playing like in the postseason when the Tides went on to win the championship. And so, yeah, you just need to go get guys when you have injuries. I get it. I mean, Hudson Haskin missed most of the year as well. Like they had guys out. Kyle Stowers was out for a while last season in AAA. But again, at the worst, you go get guys like Tyler Devin, like Nick Maton, like another guy we're going to talk about in just a moment that have big league experience, can be really good depth for you to have at AAA just in case something happens in the big leagues where you need to call them up, but can just provide you depth. Again, they're not going to be, I promise you, the Orioles are not bringing in Nick Maton to take at-bats away from Kobe Mayo. That is not what is happening here. He's just good depth to have because he has this good big league experience. And again, he doesn't have options left. So if he doesn't make the opening day roster, which I don't see happening, 
the O's would have to DFA him again and send him through waivers. And it's the same thing I said when they acquired Tyler Nevin a few weeks back. I said, look, there's a really good chance that between now and opening day, the Orioles will DFA Tyler Nevin. And they're going to do the same with Nick Maton. He doesn't have any options left. And it's a really, really small chance he gets an opening day roster spot. The Orioles are just going to hope that both Maton and Nevin, or at least one of them, can pass through waivers can come off the 40-man, but can stay in the organization in AAA Norfolk, get some at-bats, and be ready to come to the big leagues if the Orioles need him. But the other thing about Maton that kind of separates him here from Tyler Nevin is I see, unless there's major injuries, I see no path for Tyler Nevin to be on the Orioles' opening day roster. I think he is destined for a DFA, and the O's will just hope he clears waivers and they can get him back into AAA Norfolk where they had him originally before they DFA'd him last year. For Nick Maton, there's a little bit a slight opening because Mike Elias did say, went on 105.7 The Fan on the Baltimore radio on Wednesday and did say that he feels if there is any opening in the Orioles infield, it is for a left-handed hitting second baseman. Remember, that was the role that Adam Frazier played last year. We all knew the O's weren't bringing him back. They didn't. He signed a one-year deal with the Royals this offseason. And so you don't have that left-handed hitting second baseman. Now, Elias would go on to say that we're going to give Jackson Holiday a lot of reps at second base in spring training. The hope there is he can be comfortable there and he can be that left-handed hitting second baseman on the opening day roster. But if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say, I'm not convinced the Orioles are going to put Holiday on that opening day roster. I get that there's a lot of things in the new CBA that try and stop this service time manipulation. But you can still manipulate it if you do it the right way. And maybe with the new ownership, the Orioles are going to be much less likely to do that. That's something I haven't really figured into the equation yet. But trust me, it is still not a guarantee that Jackson Holiday is on the Orioles opening day roster. And if he's not, and with Joey Ortiz now out of the picture, the Orioles might be looking for a left-handed hitting second baseman. Because if you think about their infield, if Holiday is not there... You've got Mateo, you've got Arias, you've got Westberg. Those are all right-handed hitting guys. And yes, you have Gunnar Henderson, but he's an everyday player. He's not any kind of matchup guy. So maybe they could use another left-handed hitter. And to be honest with you, if the Orioles don't plan on having Holiday on the opening day roster, for whatever reason that is, about a month and a half from now, Nick Maton would not be a terrible option to make the team as kind of a left-handed hitting utility guy, be on the bench, you know, start once or twice a week, come into games late, and just sit there for as long as the Orioles are doing whatever they need to do for a month or six weeks or whatever it is before they would bring Holiday up, you could have much worse options than Nick Maton. He's cheap. He's been in the big leagues for three years. Seems to be a good vibes guy from his time with Philly and with Detroit. Having Nick Maton be there just in case they don't want to give the job to Jackson Holiday does not hurt at all. And again, if all goes well and they do give it to Jackson, you DFA Maton, it hurts no one. If he goes away on waivers, it is what it is. We weren't planning to have him anyway. And if he passes through waivers, great. You have good depth in AAA throughout the season in case you need him. But then the Orioles did basically the same move again on Thursday. And they brought in some more competition for this potential left-handed hitting second base job that might be open for a few weeks early in the season. And the guy they brought in on Thursday in Levon Soto, a little more intriguing to me than Nick Maton is. So we'll talk about him coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you 
by Ibotta. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, you may have heard me talk about Ibotta a few times before, but it's one of the more intriguing and interesting places that we will talk about here on the Locked On Orioles podcast. What is Ibotta? Well, think about this. The, the new year, for many people, means resolutions to save money. So stop shopping without getting anything in return. Start getting cash back in every purchase you make with Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop on hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. And right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKEDONMLB when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and start earning cash back and use code LOCKEDONMLB. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, in the Google Play or App Store and use the code LOCKEDONMLB. So the Orioles may have, they really may have some at-bats for a left-handed hitting second baseman early in the season if they truly do not put Jackson Holiday on the opening day roster. Nick Maton is now an option, but also Levon Soto is also an option as well. The Orioles on Thursday claiming the 23-year-old left-handed hitting infielder Levon Soto off waivers from the Los Angeles Angels. Soto had been DFA'd by the Angels earlier this week, and he's a little bit younger than Maton, and maybe a little bit more intriguing for the Orioles as well. As I mentioned, Soto, 23 years old, originally was signed by the Atlanta Braves as an international free agent out of Venezuela in 2016. Also a left-handed hitter who has played mostly second base, but also around the infield at shortstop and third base as well throughout his minor and major league career. But Soto had an interesting time in the minor leagues because after basically just one full season in 2017 with the Braves system, the Braves were forced to release Soto among other players after the Braves were penalized for a whole lot of violations that they had made over years and years during the international signing period, and they were forced to release a lot of their big-time signings, and Soto was one of them who they gave about a million-dollar bonus to out of Venezuela to join the Braves. So he became a free agent at still 17 years old at that point, and pretty much every team out there was intrigued, and it was the Angels that were able to scoop him up. And although he was never, again, a top prospect in the Angels system, topped out at number 18 in their system on the Fangraphs prospect list by Eric Longenhagen and others. He's still an intriguing guy. Now, he's a smaller guy, six foot 160, and not a lot of power in his game, but Longenhagen talks about in his reports, like, solid hit tool, he can get to the ball, and he's a good defender at multiple positions as well, with not great speed, but solid speed on the base paths as well. So, Soto made his way through the Angels system, and then he was able to jump up from double A all the way to the big leagues in 2022. That's not abnormal, honestly, for the, how the Angels have been operating lately. If anybody does anything in Double A, get them up here. Try to help Otani and Trout get this team to the postseason. It didn't work, but they've done it with plenty of players. And he played in 18 games down the stretch in 2022. Only had 59 plate appearances, right? Super, super small sample size. But man, did he hit when he got those 59 plate appearances. Hit 400. 400. With a 414 on base and a 582 slugging, just a 3% walk rate with a 22% strikeout rate, but that is a 181 WRC plus. And I know it's only 59 plate appearances, but you can't start your big league career much better than Levon Soto did. And he played 
all around the diamond, second, short, and third. Mostly second and short in the big leagues, although he's played a good amount of third in AA and AAA as well. And then it kind of reversed a little bit. After not playing in AAA at all, that is where he played most of his 2023 season. He did play four games in the big leagues for the Angels in 2023. Went two for nine with a handful of walks and strikeouts. But most of last year was spent in AAA. And all that offensive firepower he showed in 2022 in the bigs, just kind of wasn't there last year. 79 games, 350 plate appearances in AAA Salt Lake for the Angels. 248 average, 347 on base, 389 slugging. 13% walk rate was really good. 24% strikeout rate, a little bit troublesome for a Soto guy who had been known for not striking out too, too much in his time kind of going through the minor league system with the Angels. Now, he did have a career-high nine home runs across the three levels that he played at last year, and that's good. You know, he's starting to fill out. You're seeing the power play. You know, he's still only 23 years old, but generally just does not hit the ball hard. 103-mile-per-hour max exit velocity is not impressive at all. 21% hard hit rate for him in AAA last year. I mean, those, those are very low kind of quality contact and hard hit numbers. That's not something you're looking for. Now, it's not really his game. Again, he's a smaller left-handed hitting second baseman, so he doesn't need to hit 25 homers a year. He can be more of a slack, slap hitter and more of a contact guy. But then you ask, okay, he's another guy who struggled last year, just like Nick Maton, just like Tyler Nevin. Why do they continue to bring these guys in? Well, again, it's kind of the same things I talked about with Nevin and Maton. There's no such thing as too much depth. And the Orioles are starting spring training in about a week from now, and they still had an open 40-man spot. Even after getting Maton, they had one spot open. Claiming Soto means the 40-man roster is full at this point as I record on Thursday night. But that doesn't stop the Orioles from adding players. Here's kind of the other good thing about Soto, Nevin, and Maton. There's 0% chance that we get to opening day and all three of these guys are still on the 40-man roster. It just can't happen just because some of them have to be taken off to go to AAA and some of them just won't make it through spring training. So you know that you have three guys who are somewhat expendable. Like you want them for depth, but they're somewhat expendable. So if another guy comes along on waivers or via trade or you want to put someone on the opening day roster like Jackson Holiday, who's not currently on the 40-man, you got to make a spot for him. You have these three easy decisions that you can make there. And again, if Holiday is going to be on the roster, none of these three guys are going to be. So that makes the replacement there even easier for the move that you make. But here's the interesting part about Levon Soto. Not only is he much younger, you know, only 23, than Nevin and Maton are, not only is he a left-handed hitter who plays second base, which is what Elias talked about the other day, he also has minor league options, actually has two minor league option years left, which makes him a little more intriguing than those other guys because to send him down to AAA to begin the season, which is most likely what's going to happen, you don't have to put him on waivers, you don't have to DFA him, you can simply option him to AAA and keep him on the 40-man for a while if you'd like to. Now, the Orioles still may want to clear up that 40-man spot at some point, but it's nice to know that at any point when you need it, he does have minor league options, which makes it much easier to send him up and down on that roster. So with these guys in the fold, Maton and Soto, here's my guess at what happens. If Jackson Holiday makes the opening day roster, the Orioles DFA Tyler Nevin and Nick Maton and hope that they pass through waivers, they probably keep Soto on the 40-man, maybe not, but they option him to AAA. 
If Holiday does not make the opening day roster for whatever reason that comes from the Orioles, I think Nick Maton really could make the opening day roster. Nevin also gets DFA'd and Soto probably gets optioned and maybe even gets DFA'd himself because they want a 40-man spot for Nick Maton. Again, I think this only is down to Maton or Holiday. Obviously, if you're going with upside and talent, you're going with Holiday. But there's a lot of other unfortunate factors that go into a decision like this, like the service time manipulation. So that's why the O's did it, right? There might be an opening. You have space on your 40-man roster. Why not? Get them here. Get them to big league spring training. See what they can do and see if they really impress you. See if they can pull a Ryan O'Hearn and just kind of make this team force their way onto this roster. It's happened before with Orioles players. It will happen again because Mike Elias and his crew are very good at identifying talent. So again, these guys, Soto and Maton, they're not going to block any prospects from doing anything. They're going to provide depth. Depth is always great to have. You can never have too much depth. Let's just see what they can do in spring training and go from there. No need to freak out about cheap depth acquisitions. Every team does it. They're great to have, and they can only help you in the long run. But those were the additions to the Orioles roster this week. They also settled, well, you could say settled in one way, on some salaries with a couple of guys, Jacob Webb and Austin Hayes, who are already on the roster as they both won their arbitration cases against the Orioles. We'll talk about that and talk about their roles with the team coming up this year and beyond to finish off the pod. That is coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel. It it is only two days away. It is truly almost here. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some bets. I love looking at the prop bets for the Super Bowl every single year. And FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W, or even two, or maybe even three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. And new customers can join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. That is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So just wanted to finish things up on today's Orioles News and Notes episode on a Friday with a couple of Orioles, Austin Hayes and Jacob Webb, both winning their arbitration cases against the O's. It was Hayes, Webb, and then Ryan O'Hearn, who seemed to be the three players who had to go to an arbitration hearing with the Orioles. We still are waiting on O'Hearn's official salary figure for next year, but we have the numbers for Hayes and Webb. Remember, these two guys were going to be on the roster still anyway, team and the player just couldn't agree on a salary figure for next year, which is how arbitration works in Major League Baseball. They each filed a number that was different. They couldn't come to an agreement, so they went to a neutral third party who looks at all the stats, hears arguments from each side, and then makes a decision on which person's number better suits what they should make next year. And both players were the winner, which is always a good thing. Start with Austin Hayes, who won his case, and will make $6.3 million in 2024. It is year two of three in arbitration for Hayes, who got a nice little pay raise, almost double. He made $3.2 million last year in his first year of arbitration. His projection from MLB Trade Rumors was $6.1 million, so he got more than that. And the Orioles, they filed at $5.85 million, but Austin Hayes' 6.3 came out on top, so good for him. And 
He deserves it. I, I know it was a complete roller coaster for Hayes last season, right? First half, hits 314, 136 WRC+. Plus. He's an all-star for the first time. He's one of the best hitters in the American League. Second half, falls off 86 WRC+. Plus. Couldn't really count on him. Overall, though, he played 144 games, almost 600 plate appearances, hit 275, 325 on base, 444 slugging, 16 homers, a 112 WRC+. Plus. Gold Glove finalist in left field. Like, it was all good in general for Austin Hayes last year. Now, I get the second half for the second straight year was tough to watch at times. And it's a lot of questions about Austin Hayes. I mean, he doesn't walk a lot. He strikes out a lot. lot. He's a free swinger. That's still an issue in his game. But it was also a good story in the Baltimore Sun this week where Hayes' agent talked to the Baltimore Sun and basically insisted that he is interested in an extension with the Orioles. Now, Hayes has two years of team control left. He will be a free agent after the 2025 season, and he's interested in coming back, but he said he hasn't heard anything or hasn't had any negotiations with the team to this point, but we know that could change once David Rubenstein and this new ownership group takes over at some point here, maybe semi-soon, from John Angelos, and they should have more money to spend, and maybe that means for extensions, even for a guy like Austin Hayes. But for me, I, I'm not sure I would give an extension to Austin Hayes. I mean, he's he's a very streaky player. He's been injury prone in his career. You know, he'll be 30 when he hits free agency. And plus, the, the plate discipline numbers are not good. Those are things that generally only get worse with age. And it doesn't really fit into how the Orioles have have built this team hitter wise. With they haven't built a lot of guys with plate discipline issues. They usually thrive in that category with the players that they bring up. And, you know, you have Colton Kowser, you have Heston Kerstad, and you may have guys like Judd Fabian and Enrique Bradfield and Dylan Beavers, you know, coming through this outfield as well. But it also depends on how they look, you know, how Kowser and Kerstad look this year and how those other younger guys look next year. But on the flip side, you know, if he's still valuable, if he's still playing a gold glove level left field, if he's still hitting at least a, a solid amount, you know, he's still 12% above league average this year despite the bad second half. If he's still hitting some and he's still providing you value, if you can get a cheap extension that maybe tacks two more years on for Austin Hayes, so he's a free agent after maybe 2027 instead of 2025, even if he's just like a platoon left fielder, like him and Colton Kowser are platooning at that point. Like if he's still helping your team and David Rubenstein is here and has more cash to spend, why not do it? I just think if the Orioles are being a little more picky with the extensions, Austin Hayes to me is probably not a guy that's going to get one, but He's done some awesome things with the Orioles. He's been around for a long time. Remember, he debuted all the way back in 2017. That's when the Orioles were still, at one point that season, a winning baseball team. It's been a while. But I think it's going to end for Austin Hayes after 25 or maybe even after this year if the Orioles can work out a trade. But it's been a good time with him. And, hey, again, if he's cheap and he's still valuable, there's no hurt in bringing him back as well. And then Jacob Webb was the other guy who also won his arbitration case. Now, this one was... Pretty annoying. The Hayes one was annoying because, okay, he's been through so much. Why are you going to trial with Austin Hayes? And I'm sure there are Orioles people there and arguing to the judge in front of Hayes and trying to knock him down. The Jacob Webb one, he won his case and will make exactly $1 million in 2024. The Orioles filed at 925000 to pay Jacob Webb. They went to essentially a third-party trial over $75,000. Not $75 million, $75,000. John Angelo still has his stamp on this team at this point. I mean, why are we going to trial over 75000 But anyway, Jacob Webb gets his $1 million. Good for him. You know, he joined the O's on a waiver claim from the Angels in August. The O's needed a little bullpen help. They were getting tired. And remember, those first nine appearances from Jacob Webb, he didn't give up a run 
eight and two thirds innings, two hits, scoreless, 12 Ks, two walks. We were like, the Orioles just found their new relief ace off the waiver wire. Then he started to struggle a little bit more down the stretch. Overall with the Orioles, 22 innings, 25 appearances, 3.27 ERA, 25% K rate, 11% walk rate was a little high. And he had a couple of really bad outings. But if you take out his two blow-up outings that he had in September, it was a 1.29 ERA in 21 innings. That's a pretty good, that's a very small sample size, but a pretty good stretch from Jacob Webb. He also did not pitch well in the postseason, pitched in both games one and two in relief and gave up a home run in both of those appearances. Not very good, did not help the Orioles have any chance at winning that series against the Rangers. But listen, he's got three years of control left before he's a free agent. And at this point, he's on the roster bubble. Now, it could help him, the fact that he is out of minor league options. You know, if they had him not make the team, he'd be DFA'd, and almost certainly another team would claim Webb on waivers and the Orioles would lose him. I think that gives him a leg up to make the team as long as he pitches okay in spring training. I still think he has the stuff to do it, and I honestly think because he's out of options, he's certainly like right on the roster bubble right now for the bullpen. But my prediction at this point is Jacob Webb does make the opening day roster, gets one of those final bullpen spots for the O's, and then you know they use him in middle relief, and if he pitches well, he keeps the job, and if he doesn't, at some point he does get DFA'd and they replace him elsewhere. But I think it could be still a solid bullpen piece. Definitely showed a lot of flashes with the O's last year. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you so much for tuning in all week. Another big week here on the podcast. That is all thanks to you. Remember, continue to leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to the podcast. And like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles podcast on YouTube. We are getting closer and closer to 6,000 subscribers. And again, we're going to have a fun Orioles giveaway when we get to 6,000. But you got to be subscribed to the YouTube page to be entered. That'll do it for the week here on the pod. We are back on Monday. Got a couple of episodes already lined up for early next week. We're going to talk about the Orioles minor league coaching staff. They announced all of their staffs, some new names and some intriguing names that are in that staff, some cool promotions as well. We'll get to all of that laying out the minor league staffs. We'll talk about some sponsorship deals at Oriole Park. Could Oriole Park be renamed potentially? That is uh, something that's got uh, a lot of fans up in arms. We'll talk about that next week and also some more news coming out about you know how quickly this Orioles sale could happen and some more news about in what way Masson could change good reporting in the Baltimore Sun this week about that we'll get to that on the pod next week starting when we return on Monday but until then I'm Connor Newcomb and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast part of the Locked On podcast your team everywhere